during the early years of my Christian journey, which really began in late teens and, and early 20s, I experienced three powerfully clear promptings of the Holy Spirit. And the first two actually came about the age of our graduates. Sometime either shortly before or shortly after uh, I graduated, I came under the strong and, and just recurring impression that I needed to start going to church and reading the Bible. During my high school years, I had been a CEO, right, Christmas and Easter only, uh, which is why I love those who only come on Christmas and Easter, because that is my story. But, and the issue was not that I didn't believe, I didn't particularly believe, I didn't disbelieve, if you will, but I just wasn't particularly engaged by the church, and I was very busy, and it just was not a priority, was not fully engaged, but I, but I remember mowing the lawn, <laughs> When these two impressions seize me, and that's why it's very important for every young person to mow the lawn for your parents, because God can speak to you while you're mowing the lawn. And so these first two impressions seize me very powerfully. And, and so at a time when stereotypically many young adults go to college and quit going to church because their parents aren't making them anymore, I actually started college and began going to church and began reading the Bible every day. And, and suddenly church was very much alive and very much real to me in a way that it had never been before. And, and my understanding of what the, the Bible actually said, instead of just what I had been told or thought it said, was what well, grew very dramatically, leaps and bounds. Well, fast forward a few years, and I experienced a third powerful prompting, one that sticks with me, one that recurs and this one involved giving financially to the local church. See, intellectually, I had known I was supposed to give, and so I did give a bit. But, but as I grew in my faith, and I was hearing and exposed to testimonies from, from people who had been givers for many years, I felt called to give more, and I did. And what I discovered was that I loved giving. You see, from the very beginning, I had a lot of, lot of joy in giving, even when I wasn't giving a whole lot. And I think the, it, that what it is for me is that there is a, a joy that comes out of the mystery of giving. And you're probably like, what are you talking about? Mystery of giving, right? There's not a lot of mystery, right? You write a check or you put some cash in the plate or you, you grab the LRBC app and you set up your electronic giving, right? So there's no mystery. That's not what I'm talking about. All right, that's the mechanics. Now, the mystery for me was about how the money that I gave, small though it was, was used. And you're probably like, again, it's not a mystery. If you pay attention, they hand the budget out. You know how it's used, right? This much pays the people, this much pays the light bill, this much you know, keeps things going, this much buys Sunday school literature, this much funds mission trips, and so forth. But my point is that's actually where the mystery lies. Because when you give to the local church, you're giving to God's kingdom, and the mystery is not the mechanics, right? The mystery is not how do we pay the money out. The mystery is in how God will use that gift, right? Is your gift the gift that, that pays the pastor on a particular day that he gives counsel that helps revive a dying marriage? And then will that husband or wife's testimony some years later yield fruit in the form of, of many other marriages that are healed through that person's ministry, through the power of the gospel? Right? Or will your gift pay for, for a specific VBS material, a specific item of VBS material that will be used by a leader that then God works through in a powerful way in a child's life? So, 
so profoundly impacting them that she puts her faith in Christ. Right? Is that what your gift does? Right? See, when you give to God's kingdom, there is always the possibility of an eternal and a generational impact. Right? The, we heard the story of the, the widow who just throws in the two coins. The point is, the mystery of God's kingdom is that the impact can go on and on, resonating across generations in ways we can't imagine. And it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the faithfulness behind it. Right? On the one hand, you might think you're just drudging along, right? You're paying the power bill for the church. whoop de doo But is that electricity the light by which the next Billy Graham is being discipled right now in a youth small group? Right? We don't know. This is the mystery of the kingdom. Is, is that short-term mission trip that you support financially, is that the one that, that launches a spiritual journey for someone that ends with an ordinary member of our congregation becoming a full-time missionary or church planter. It's not without precedent. Not in this church. Is your next gift the one that enables a prayer meeting or a worship service or a Bible study that, that God uses as His point of ignition for the next great awakening of the church in North America? If you look at the histories of, of the great movements of God, they, they begin really small. Right? One prayer meeting, one worship service that somehow the Spirit just uses powerfully. Because in God's economy, giving is always a mystery. Every gift resonates eternally. It's like throwing a stone into a pond and watching the ripples go out, except the ripples of God's kingdom go for not only weeks, months, years, but centuries. Right? We today experience, the very fact that we are here is the outworking of ripples from 2,000 years ago, and from 1,500 years ago, and from 1,000 years ago, and from 500 years ago. Right? This is the mystery of God's kingdom, and I love that mystery. And so I was led to give more, right? As I began, got a little older, I was, I was led to give more. I, I committed to giving 10% of my gross income, and there is nothing magical about that number, which is traditionally referred to as the tithe. It's simply what I was led to give at that point in my life. Now, at other points, I've been led to give more. Never, never led to give less, but that's me. That's my story. But in those early years of my faith walk, right, to get from where I was to this idea of 10% of gross income was a huge leap for a young newlywed. Now, Melanie had always been a tither, so she was good about that with her salary, but I just wasn't there with my salary uh, at that point. Right? And so, so like any good person in... Northern Virginia, I made a plan, right? Because that's what we do in Northern Virginia. We make plans, right? We make plans for everything. So I made a plan to get from here to there over the course of several years. And, and it all went great according to the plan for a year or two until the year that I got a particularly large raise and the whole plan got blown up. I was delighted about this raise, as you might imagine. I, I began dreaming about it, right? Like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll take the next step of giving. That's great. But, but think about all I can save, all I can, all I can invest in, all I can spend and the fun we can have. And I'm, I'm driving home from work that day, very excited about it. And I had probably the most direct impression of God's will that I ever had in my life, including even my call to ministry. And he didn't speak audibly, but the impression was so powerful, he might well have. And he said to give it all. Every bit of that raise, which, conveniently enough, was just the right amount to get to that goal he'd laid on my heart a couple of years before. 
Well, I tried to argue, right? We always try to argue with God's will when it's stuff we don't want to do. But the sense was so powerful that, that and clear that you just, you, you, I eventually gave up, right? I, I actually didn't take that long to give up. There went the raise that year. I don't even think I told Melanie I got a raise. I probably just kept it a secret. And did I regret it? Did I miss it? No, not at all. Because there is enormous joy to be had in giving freely and generously and even radically to the kingdom of God. And we have grown our kingdom giving in years since in various ways to the church, to missions, to caring for the poor in the area, to kingdom work on the other side of the world. I think these are all valid and important ways which we invest in God's kingdom. And maybe someday in heaven we'll get to meet or at least see all those who are impacted across centuries and for eternity by the privilege we had of giving to God's kingdom. It's not always been easy, particularly in the early years. There were definitely times when the check I wrote pretty much covered the entire checking account, but it didn't matter because this was living by faith for God's kingdom, and it was a joy and it was a gift to be invited to participate this way. And so today we are just taking a one-week pause on our journey through Galatians to reflect on this gift of God's grace that he invites us to participate in his work on this earth. That he invites us to participate in the work of the kingdom. And so as we are preparing to launch some young adults into this world, and as we are individually preparing to scatter to the winds over the next few months for vacation, it is important to remind ourselves that there is a tremendous joy that awaits us when we use the material blessings of this life, not for our glory, but for God's glory. I'm sharing this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, which I think gives us an excellent New Testament perspective on giving. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine." For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul tells us the story, really tells the Corinthian church, but he's obviously passing it along to every believer since then. He tells the story, he paints the picture of the generous giving of the impoverished believers in the churches of Macedonia. And he does it to introduce us as well to three principles of biblical stewardship that apply to every Christian. And the first is that God's invitation to give is an undeserved gift of joy. 
three times, verses 1, 6, and 7, Paul refers to giving as a form of grace. We probably aren't used to thinking of that, right? We can think of it as a chore. We can think of it as a bill. We can think of it as a guilt trip. We don't usually think of it as grace. Grace is defined as favor or kindness that is shown without regard to the worth or merit of the person who receives it, and in spite of what that person deserves, right? Grace is favor or kindness shown to us. Right? This is very interesting because contrary to popular belief, right, giving to God's kingdom isn't about chores and burdens and ugh, and drudgery and why do I have tos. Rightly understood, giving to God's kingdom is an extraordinary joy and is, in fact, a gift from God himself to us for our good. And that is a very unusual perspective, I think. You see, what we need to remember is that God doesn't need us to grow his kingdom. Right? He can redeem the world and restore creation by any means he chooses. He doesn't need our money because he created all the money. Right? As scripture says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But out of His kindness and goodness and mercy and love, God invites us to participate in growing His kingdom because He knows what a blessing it is, what a joy it is to be able to be part of building the kingdom. He knows how it disciplines us and trains us and transforms us when we get to serve as part of building up the kingdom. And so flawed though we are, God invites us to serve, to make disciples, and to contribute financially to the work of His kingdom. And the amazing thing, as I've sort of alluded to already, is that He does these things for our own good. He does them to grow us, to transform us, to challenge us, to build our faith, to fill us with joy and delight, and to help us become more and more like Jesus. And so giving to the local church, supporting missionaries, sponsoring children in the third world, buying things to pack in shoeboxes and then paying to ship them to the ends of the earth with the gospel in them. I've got my OCC people. How often is there a gospel conversation as a result of shoeboxes? 21 times every 60 seconds. The gospel is being talked about because of a shoebox. Right? Things like this, things like supporting, you know, drilling wells and villages so that, that people not only get safe, clean drinking water, but doors are open for the gospel. These things are not a chore or a bore, right? 21 times every 60 seconds, that's not boring. This is one of the greatest joys of life that we can give. To know that some money that we got paid for for doing a job, and maybe we like the job, maybe we hate the job, that's irrelevant, but but some sort of money we got paid for a job has been transformed and used to transform lives across the street and around the world, right, through a power that is way beyond anything we have, that's a joy like no other. And so instead of more lattes and, and bigger toys and nicer cars and better gadgets and, and fancier vacations or, or fatter retirement funds, God is inviting us to impact the world for His kingdom, for generations, for eternity. And He gives us a lot of different ways to do it. And the first of these, of course, is giving to this local church, right? A church budget looked dreary and dull. I know, right? I have to, I have to look at it a lot. 
right? And it feels dreary and dull. But again, that forgets the power of God working through the people, the facilities, the missions, the ministries, and the materials that are provided for by your gifts. Right? Gifts to LRBC by cash or by check or by e-giving, these things support our kingdom work right here in our community. Right? It is vital for what we are called to do and called to be as a lighthouse for this community at the corner of Clipper and Mariner. So, so faithful and generous giving is critical for accomplishing the work of the kingdom. Another way is missions giving, right? We have mission goals. We seek to, we collect all year long for missionaries. All year round, you can contribute to North American missions. What's their goal this year, Jim? 7,000? Yes. There you go. Phew, I got it right. I didn't pre-coordinate any of this. And this fund, right, we don't necessarily, you know, we may think, I don't really know what that is. Well, let me tell you, it does tremendous work to revitalize the church in North America. We lament the state of the church in North America, but, but your North American Mission Board is sending church planners to inner cities that have been abandoned by the church to spark a new church planting movement that will win these cities of America back to Christ. And NAM also supports and equips pastors who come in and revitalize declining and dying churches and restore them to health so they more effectively reach people for Christ across the nation. We also collect for international missions. 20,000 is the goal. We've actually beat that goal every the last few years, I believe. But, but the point is there are thousands of missionaries that are working around the, around the world. And the way, the way they work is very powerful, right? Because it's really about multiplying their efforts. So it, these handful of missionaries work with the local believers, to, and the goal is to launch exponentially growing native church planting movements that reach those who've never even heard the name of Jesus before, much less the gospel. I was at seminary this past week in Kentucky, and here is a picture literally of the magnitude of the need for international missions. If you can read that, right? Current world population is changing constantly, about 7.5 billion people. Unreached population, meaning they haven't even heard the name Jesus, 3.8 billion. Right? This is the work that we are called to do in all our different ways. This is that eternal generational impact that even the smallest of gifts can have. And then there are wonderful gospel-centered organizations that impact the world by meeting both immediate physical needs and eternal spiritual needs, right? And there are a lot in this category. My, I have my favorites, and I get to talk about them, right? But you have your favorites, and you're welcome to talk about them with others. Right, my favorites are Water of Life. It's a group in South Carolina that drills clean water, you know, wells in unloved villages in India and Africa and have worked with tremendously successful local evangelists and pastors and planting churches because as, as people's physical needs are being met, they become very open to hearing the gospel and why someone in America would care about someone when their own government does not care about them. And at Compassion International. Love the work of Compassion International. I know our mops are, are tied in with Compassion, right, where you can sponsor children and, and build a relationship with those children over years as you are supporting both their physical, but they work with local churches who are supporting their, their spiritual growth and needs over the years. And, and so I think you're getting the picture, right? For me personally, I love giving to the kingdom. I get all fired up about it, right? So... Don't get me cornered on the topic of it, or don't get yourself cornered on the topic of giving, because I love to give to the kingdom. Again, I love that mystery of it, because you never know, right? The widow's, the widow's two copper coins, right? 
a more powerful gift than anything else because she is giving in faith of all she has. But I love giving. You got that picture. But let me assure you that I'm not supposed to be the weirdo on this topic. There's other areas where I'm the weirdo, but I'm not, the, I'm not supposed to be the weirdo on this topic, right? God intends for all believers to understand giving in this way. And so Paul introduces us to these Macedonian churches who are dirt poor, right? That is the point he starts off making. These churches are very, very poor. And yet they are full of generosity and faith. And that demonstrates for us the second principle of the passage. Give sacrificially to God and his kingdom. We need to understand contextually, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, which is considerably wealthier, right? Corinth was a very prosperous city. So he is writing to a rich church, and shaming might be the wrong term, but he is trying, he's making sure they understand in their conscience that they don't need to be, you know, nickel and diming it based on their rich church expectations when there is this dirt poor church that is willing to give all for the kingdom. All right, so he introduces they are full of generosity and faith. And so he is he's helping them understand, right, that it's not just a compulsion, it's not just a habit, a thing you've got to do, but rather to understand that it is joy, that it is grace. And that the call to give, you know, to really understand what it means to be called to give in light of the overflowing joy of these incredibly poor churches of Macedonia. Verse 2 explains the abundance of their joy. And, and just note this contrast. Where in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, right? Two things that we might not think go side by side, right? Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, right? What fueled their generosity? Being really poor and having a lot of joy in Christ. It's not about circumstances. It's not about salaries. It's not about savings. It's about joy in Christ. Right? They are, they are poverty is extreme, but their joy is more extreme. Out of these gushes a flow of generosity, and these poor believers felt led by God to not only give, but to give sacrificially. Verse 3 reports, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Their gifts were freely given. There was no compulsion. There was no guilt. There was no arm twisting, but they were deeply sacrificial in their giving. Our world today would frown on their irresponsibility, wouldn't we? Oh, you've given too much. We would frown on the irresponsibility of this overflowing generosity toward God's kingdom, but Paul commends it. Because they weren't just giving, they were... They were begging to give sacrificially. They, need, they were desperate, according to verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See, this was an abundant joy and delight for these early Christians that, to be able to participate in kingdom work and something that was more than just their own needs. Right? They had plenty of needs, but they wanted to give to those in the other parts of the kingdom. And the reason all this is true becomes clear in verse 5. You see, these poor Christians didn't just write a check, drop it in the plate, and then go out to lunch after church. They first and foremost fully gave themselves to God. They committed themselves to God in a powerful way. Then they gave to support His kingdom. 
So in the matter of financial giving, the question for each of us is, are we willing to first give ourselves fully to God and then fall into his arms acting in faith? Paul explains in verse 5 in this, not as we expected, but right. the point is he's expecting uh, they throw some money in the plate. No, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So as I'm trying to paint for you a biblical picture of stewardship, of what it looks like to have the proper management of all the, the resources that God has blessed you with, I want to emphasize that stewardship begins with faith and a commitment to the Lord. And so this week I want each of us here, each of you to be praying about what God is calling you to give to His kingdom through LRBC, through missions, through gospel-centered organizations around the world. But first, give yourself to God. That should be where it begins. I want you to really seek God's heart for giving because the point of this passage, I think, and there's other passages that, that address this as well, is that there is no single specific number that applies to every single believer. Right? There was in the Old Testament. There is not for New Testament believers. But So for some of you, your number might be 10% to the local church plus some additional to, that you give elsewhere. But for others, it could look like giving away 15%, 20%, 25%, or even more. I have heard of people giving even more to build God's kingdom here and around the world. And I want to encourage you to give as God leads and don't be afraid. This is part of the faith-building exercise. We've often given sacrificially and have never regretted it, even when it made things tight afterwards, right? Give as God leads you to give and, and be faithful and don't argue or negotiate with him. This is one of my bad habits, right? When I feel a, a prompting, like, okay, you need to start giving in this area, right? Taking, taking care of the homeless in this community or, or to the ends of the earth. Uh, you know, I'll sometimes try to negotiate a little bit, you know, a little nickel and diming. Yeah, half a percent here, half a percent there. When I do, I unfortunately quit convicted fairly quickly by 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Trust in God and have the confidence to act in faith and in joy. The third principle of the passage comes in the latter portion of it, which is to give freely as Jesus freely gave himself for you. You see, verse 9 explains to us that Christ set aside all the riches of heaven for your benefit and mine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the condition of every single believer in Jesus Christ, because this richness is not about our, our bank balance and our income. This is about the richness of being a citizen of heaven. Jesus Christ was the eternal Son of God. He was present at creation. By Him, all things were made, and yet He chose to set aside all this, right? The presence of God, the power over creation. He set his, his glory, His status, if you will, aside to enter our world as a newborn baby born in a, in a backwater town in Israel 2,000 years ago, sleeping in a food trough on the first night. 
He entered this world in order to suffer and sacrifice himself for us, to, to take the weight of our sin upon his own shoulders, upon himself, even though he never sinned. And we need to remember that he was nailed to a Roman cross, not just by Roman soldiers, but by our sin. And there he suffered in both physical and spiritual agony because he was suffering God's anger for our sin. And through his death, our debt of sin was paid. And when he rose from the dead, Jesus opened the way for all those who put their faith in him as Lord and Savior to receive forgiveness for our sins and eternal life in the presence of God. These are the riches that Paul speaks of that we have in Christ. This is what we've been talking about throughout our entire Galatians series. New life, new hope, new identity. By his poverty and suffering, we who trust in him have become rich. We have a new citizenship. We are citizens of heaven. We have a new home where we will live forever in the presence of God. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are invited to follow his example. To give of ourselves sacrificially and freely, just as he gave. Working a little backwards through the passage now, verse 8 reminds us we are to give freely as a measure of what we've received through Christ. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul's exhortation is for every believer to excel in giving, just as we are to excel in all the other virtues and habits and disciplines of Christ-likeness. So becoming like Jesus is the goal and life mission of a disciple. Now, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you didn't realize that was your goal and life mission, there's the newsflash for the morning. Your goal and life mission, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to become like Jesus. As Christ followers, we are to excel in all the various ways that Jesus excelled. As Paul tells us in verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The call of this passage is to excel in giving financially. And this can be hard, right? We live in Northern Virginia. It's very expensive here. So it can be hard to excel in giving. I agree, right? It is an expensive area to live because, of course, the cost of living is high. But let's be clear. Let's be honest, if we may. This is church, right? We should be honest. Right? This area in Northern Virginia is also expensive because it is very expensive to keep up with our neighbors. Keep up with our neighbors in buying new stuff, nicer stuff, bigger stuff, better stuff, right? The cost of keeping up with that is very, very high. If you have kids, the cost of keeping up with the competitive parenting of Northern Virginia is very, very high because we got to get our kids in so many activities so that they have the best shot of getting into the Ivy Leagues. But our call is not to excel in having stuff. Our call is to excel in giving to God's kingdom. And we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of this often because it's so easy to fall into the patterns and, and life of Northern Virginia. And honestly, we can get pretty lax about it come the summer because we're just so giddy that we're it's summer and we can finally get out of this place for a little while. And there's probably not a church in America that doesn't see a big drop-off in giving in the summer, even though most of its people probably don't see a big drop-off in getting paid. And the invitation that God extends to participate in the joy and this 
undeserved gift of being able to give to the kingdom doesn't go away just because we have gone away, just because we have gone to the mountains or, or gone to the beach or, or gone to foreign lands or gone to the amusement parks. The invitation to give and participate in the kingdom stands. And so I urge you to search your hearts in the coming days and to, to pray for direction from the Lord and to be generous with your giving. And there are plenty of ways to continue giving faithfully, freely, sacrificially, joyfully, even as you are a great distance away. This is our call. This is our gift. But so often we don't think of it that way, but we need to learn from the Macedonian church to rethink this gift of grace that we take for granted. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to rethink our, our concept of money and stewardship of what you have given to us and rethink our understanding of what it means to give to your kingdom, whether it's here at Lake Ridge, whether it's to missionaries, whether it's to, to groups that are spreading the, the gospel through caring for physical needs. Lord, Help us to realize this is a gift, that you invite us to participate in your kingdom because it transforms us. It, it gives us joy and delight. Give us eyes to see. Give us faith to live in this way, Lord. That we would not spurn this gift because of some material concerns of this world. Lord, help us to embrace the opportunity to impact generations and generations, centuries and lives for eternity, for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I firmly believe that in every time we gather that God's Spirit is present, of course, and that He is active in our hearts and in our minds. And that as we sing words of grace, as we hear the Word read and proclaimed, as we pray, that God's Spirit speaks to us in different ways. And we want to give you the opportunity to respond. And so we will be singing and worshiping in song, but this is also an opportunity to just respond to whatever God has laid on your heart. And my prayer is that for some, it is to embrace the gift of God through Jesus Christ by putting your faith in Him. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, realize He set everything aside in heaven, came to this world, lived a life as an example, but went to the cross as a sacrifice for you pay the price for your sin, to give you freedom and a new life and a new identity and a new hope. And so if you have not yet trusted him as Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to do so. And if that is something you would like to talk about, something you would like to pray about, or something you have done recently, then as we sing, I invite you either to come to the front and you can pray with me, you can pray with Pastor Neil, or if you'd rather go to the back and pray with Pastor Philip, love for you to do that. Or if you are feeling led to, to say, we have been part of this church for a long time, but we are ready to commit and make this our church home, the place where we are going to invest for the kingdom, our time and our talent and our treasures, then if you're ready to make that decision, then again, as we worship, we invite you to come to the front.
or go to the back and talk with Pastor Phil. But if there's anything else on your heart that God has spoken to you about, whether it's about giving to the kingdom of your time or of your talent or of your treasure, whether it's just something that you've heard from one of the songs or the prayers that struck your heart that you need to, to give over to God, confess it to God, and receive and enjoy His grace and mercy, then again, we invite you to pray about that, whether it's from your seat or kneeling in the front or, or asking one of the pastors, again, front or back, to, to pray with you or pray for you. We would love to have you do that. Let us worship now in song as we respond. Mm-hmm.